If you're new with us, Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 has been uh, our scripture that we've been diving into. It's been the anchor scripture for the series that we've been calling Keep It Dead. And uh, we're going to continue on in that today. We're going to find ourselves in a different portion of Galatians. Uh, but uh, as always, and, and per custom around here, we love to just uh, get it in our hearts and our heads where we've been at. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through to 21 says this, for, though, uh, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, watch this, then Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. So today, as we continue on our series, Keep It Dead, I want to speak to you from the subject, nurseries, negative equity, and running in circles. Nurseries, negative equity, and running in circles. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. God, right now, we submit ourselves once again to the authority of your word. Your word is truth. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So God, right now, as we submit ourselves to the authority of your word, I pray that it would be your word that would transform us. I pray that it would be your word that would once again bring hope where there's hopelessness. For those of us with weary souls today, God, I pray that it would bring life. God, that your word would nourish us today. That your word would speak profoundly to the empty and dark places of our hearts. Establishing your goodness and your grace in our lives. We love your word. We're thankful for it. And God, I pray that your truth today that comes from your word would set us free in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted, amen. amen. In 1844, Alexander Dumas would release what would become his famed book, The Count of Monte Cristo. It would later be drafted to the big screen in 1934 and then again in 2002. How many of us have seen, show of hands, how many of you have seen The Count of Monte Cristo before? How many of you read the book? This is what I, like, one, all right. Has anybody else have, have read the book? 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 Wow. Okay, so just so everyone, they are the smart people in the church this morning. <laughs> because that book is insane to read. I have myself not, not read it, all right? Um, I love the movie. Anybody else love the movie? Where, where are the people that love the movie, not the book, all right? If you've read the book or seen the movie, uh, it's an amazing story. Uh, it tells the story of Edmond Dantes, who would fall in love with the love of his life, Mercedes. The love story would eventually be interrupted by his friend Ferdinand Mondego, who himself had fallen in love with Mercedes, and he would work this wicked plot that would eventually send Edmond to prison. The reason that he would do this is because he himself loved Mercedes and wanted a relationship with her. And this plot would take place and Edmund would find himself imprisoned and over the years of his imprisonment he would come to befriend a fellow prison mate. And that prison mate would educate him and, and teach him things and, and love on him and father him in many ways. And, and in that moment of his despair and hopelessness, hopelessness Edmund would eventually find himself brought back to life again, but not from the hope of getting out, but rather the hope of one day exacting revenge. 
And so he would go through this process, eventually finding himself escaping from prison and taking on a new name, the Count of Monte Cristo, to which he would exact his plot to find himself embarking upon a journey of revenge. Writer and author Alexander Dumas would convey this message through his character, Edmond Dantes, with this very powerful and confronting, confronting truth as he would write this, fool that I am, said he, that I did not tear out my heart the day I resolved to revenge myself. You see, Edmund would spend his time in captivity dreaming about his freedom, only to find himself robbed of his desired freedom as he would be shackled by the bondage of revenge. Paul, the apostle, is gonna deal with, maybe not revenge, but he's gonna deal with the same issue that was at play in Edmund's life in Galatians chapter five, verses one through 13. We're gonna read that in a moment, where the Galatians would find themselves desiring freedom only to find themselves in freedom, and amongst finding themselves in freedom, they would once again be shackled to the bondage because they didn't know how to deal with their freedom. The late Billy Graham was noted as saying this, people seek freedom in various ways, not realizing that the freedom they seek is often the pathway to bondage. Now, context is really important. We're gonna, get, we're gonna get to the very practical measures of this message, but I need you to hang with me. So context is what we need to understand in order to grab a hold of what it is that Paul's really writing as he's speaking to a people that we don't necessarily get, all right? So the context is that the Galatians had listened to the message of Jesus. This is the message of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for you and, my, for you and me. There was death, there was burial, there was resurrection, and there's freedom in Christ. Come on, somebody, that's good news right there. Right? That's the message that the Galatians had heard. But then something happened. They got tricked. This group known as the Judaizers had come in and convinced them that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the salvation in Jesus wasn't good enough. So they had to add some stuff to the mix. Right? They had to take what Jesus had done and then they had to stack some things on top of it. At that time, it was eating restrictions and circumcision. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. They get used to that statement because we're gonna, we're gonna say the word circumcision multiple times in this message, okay? So everybody turn to your neighbor. I'm just kidding, don't. That's weird. And so Paul is now gonna write a letter to this church at Galatia and he's gonna say, guys, listen, I need you to, to cease and desist from adding things to the good news of Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That was his plea. That you can't do anything, you can't buy it, you can't get it, there's nothing you can add to the equation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he was pleading with them, multiple, multiple, multiple chapters of Paul saying, listen, don't do this. The problem is, is that it seems like it's hardwired in our humanity to try to earn what it is that Jesus has given us. You ever found yourself there? You ever found yourself bewildered by God's grace? You ever found yourself in the place where his love seems too good? Because let's be honest, how many of you would agree with me? It's hard in many moments to accept gifts from a stranger. Like right now, if somebody, if you were to go downtown Salt Lake City today and someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, I've got a gift for you, I just wanna give you a gift, you'd be like, no, I will punch you, get away from me. 
Why? Because it's weird. It seems foreign. Why? Because there's something inside of us that believes that everything that is given requires a payment. So the problem is, though, the gospel story, the gospel truth, the payment has already been made. Jesus made the payment when he died upon the cross, but then there's this tricky little system that hasn't changed much since the Galatians, and that is you and I have a tendency to fall back into trying to earn which has been freely given. Now here's the question we have to ask ourselves, though. This is a big question. I love this question. Why? Every shout, why? Why? Why do we do this? And I've come to realize one word, acceptance. You see, to become a Christian in that moment was to lose everything that the Galatians had previously formed their personal identity upon. In their decision to follow Jesus, they lost all social status, all political loyalties, all business relationships, and general patterns and ways of living. There was no structural support for a system that would identify them. See, you and I don't really have that problem anymore, do we? Because we can come to church and we can, we can post on Facebook that we're Christ followers and everything like that. And many of us, the only thing we really had to give up was the club. <laughs> the relationship. <laughs> right? The drugs. Like, that, like that's kind of where many of us, but these guys, no, no, no. When they said yes to Jesus, they lost everything. They lost stuff that you and I would never, ever even be able to comprehend. Some of us in here would. But the truth is, the Judaizers would come in and they would prey upon the Galatians and they would prey upon an issue that all of us struggle with and that's acceptance. Because they would submit, how could you be accepted by a God that you haven't paid anything to. So what they would do is they would be duped, they'd be tricked into working for their salvation. They'd be tricked into trying to earn God's love. And this is why Paul would use the term bondage when referring to the previous life they had lived before Jesus, before their hearts were captured by him, because the truth is that our acceptance is never free and always costs us. And what we perceive to be freedom is never true freedom. Our life before Christ, come on somebody, cost us something, as it did the Galatians. Maybe the cost was not big at first, but as the days and the years have gone on, more of our integrity, more of our character, more of our joy, more of our peace, more of our sanity has been lost because, well, we've been trying to pay for things and we've been trying to make sure that we felt accepted by something because at the end of the day, to feel acceptance from God, we struggle with. But here's the truth that we need to understand. The cost of acceptance will always be bankrolled by our soul. So whether you are trying to be accepted by the world or you trying to find yourself accepted by Jesus, it will always be bankrolled by our soul. That's why Jesus said, how, how is it possible that you would give up on this? How, how would you wanna gain the whole world but lose your soul? Come on, some of us have felt that way. Come on, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever felt like you were paying out dividends from your soul to find some degree of acceptance? Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today, online today? 
And it feels like you're just bankrolling soul, 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 and just bankrolling, and it's to her, and it's to him, it's to the highest bidder, it's, it's just another like on Instagram, it's, a, it's another follower on Facebook, it's, a, it's another promotion, it's, a, it's another drink, it's a, another you fill in the blank. Come on, we're bankrolling our life with our soul for acceptance. The Galatians had forgot a simple truth is that I am, you are, we are accepted in Christ. He loves you. He died for you. This is, this is the gospel at its simplest of forms. See, Paul showed that the Galatians had come to rely on dead religion rather than a living faith. And the problem that we can get tricked into is that we try to produce a life through that which is dead which is why we need to keep it dead. And so what I wanna do today, with that being the the backdrop of this message, that that being the backdrop of Galatians chapter five, verses one through three, we're gonna work through it now, and we're gonna get very practical. Can we do that today? How many of you love practical things to walk away with, all right? So here we go. Uh, I I wanna look at three pictures that Paul is gonna paint for us in Galatians chapter five, verses one through 13. Here's the first picture, and the guys are gonna help me with this is Paul is gonna paint the picture of a nursery. And he's gonna do this in order to show the Galatians that they had returned to legalism and they had lost their liberty. Galatians chapter five, verse verse one says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Come on, how many of you love that verse right there? Right, okay, just a teacher moment. Everybody pay attention, right up here, right up here. Literally everybody's head shifted. It's a crib, now come back over here, okay. Y'all with me, okay? Galatians chapter five, verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's good news, right? Then watch what Paul says. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The New American Commentary calls the letter to the Galatians the Magna Carta of liberty. The Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Here's the problem. For many of us, we don't understand the concept, or we can't, we can't mentally picture a yoke of slavery because, well, probably none of us have in here have actually been enslaved the way that the Galatians would have understood it. What he's trying to show them is that when I live in freedom in Christ, when I stand firm in it, I'm standing in the thing that has been bought and paid for by Jesus. But the problem is, is that when we start moving into legalism, when I start trying to earn that which Christ has freely given, I'm no longer standing firm in it. I'm actually stepping out of it. And he uses the term, I'm engaging in a a yoke of slavery. Here's a better way to illustrate it so that we can all grab a hold of it. Because some of you are like, what, is like an egg yoke of slavery? That makes no sense. Is it over easy? Is it scrambled? This is the picture that... (laughs) This is the picture that he wants us to see. Paul is saying to you and I, as Christians, if we go back, as as people trying to figure out this, this thing of faith, if we go back to a place of trying to earn which has been given, it is as ludicrous as an adult going back into a crib to sleep. We all laugh. That's the, that's the insanity that Paul wants us to see. Because how many of you know there's no freedom here now? I'm an adult, I got a bed. We sleep in a cow king bed. We don't even have to touch each other if we don't want to. 
We want to. <laughs> just for clarity's sake. Just for, <laughs> just gonna make, so there's clarity. This is a weird picture. Doesn't make sense. But some of us in this room understand what it's like to experience the goodness and the grace of Jesus only to be tricked into believing that I've gotta earn it. And what happens is we lose the liberty that we have in Christ. We lose the freedom that we have in Jesus because I'm sleeping in a crib. So this is Paul's first picture that he's gonna paint. He's gonna say, hey, listen, guys, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm, therefore, don't once again get back into, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> don't get back into the crib. Maybe we can call this crib Christians who need our pacifiers, our binkies, And some of us are living here right now. Now, I know we're struggling. I know the tension in the room right now because the tension in the room right now is like, okay, so does that mean I can just do whatever I want to then? Right, some of us are right there. Like, we're like, okay, well, then that's good. Like, Jesus is awesome. He loves me. He gave everything for me. And, and, he's, and I have all this freedom so I can just do whatever I want because I have grace and I have forgiveness and everything like that. We're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna get to verse 13 next week and deal with that issue. But he's trying to remind them first and foremost of the beauty of the gospel. See, the concern was that the freedom that was being experienced in Christ was gonna be hijacked by falling away into legalism, crib Christians. Some of us in this room right now need to take inventory of where we are at. Here's the second picture that he wants us to grab a hold of, and that's the picture of negative equity. And it's a loss of wealth found in the cross. And I'm not talking about wealth like prosperity. I'm not talking about cash. I'm not talking about bling. I'm not talking about anything like that. The wealth of the cross. How many of you have something at home potentially that means so much to you? It doesn't even have a, a financial obligation next to it. It's just something that is so greatly loved and treasured by you that to lose it would break you. That's the wealth that he's talking about, that the cross means so much to you and I, that when we enter into this other type of contractual religious agreement with Jesus, we're actually nullifying the goodness of the cross. So this is what Paul says in Galatians 5, two through six, he says, take note! Apparently he was a Utah Jazz fan. <laughs> take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Now, for some of us, like, this is a hard scripture to, to, to work with because you're like, well, that's easy. I, I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. What? You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. 
For we eagerly wait through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. In other words, he's saying, listen, the issue is not even circumcision. The issue is what matters is faith working through love. And you're missing the picture because you are trying to do this and do that in order to earn what God has already paid for. So he illustrates it with this. Maybe a better way of looking at it, and just gonna help me out here, thanks bud. The idea of negative equity. Erica and I bought a car a long, long time ago, then we traded in that car, and the trade-in was not worth as much of the, uh, uh, was not worth as much as we needed it to be, and we still had debt on the car. So what we did is we rolled that car into the new loan, and what happened? Negative equity. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, it's not the best financial move. We're not talking about finances right now, but what I want you to hear is the truth behind it because for some of us, what we're doing is we are taking what Jesus has done and we're adding debt to it and it's debt we can never pay off. I want you to see this, the picture that Paul is trying to write for us is he's trying to get us to see how many of you would agree This is an awkward way to walk around life. (laughs) Come on, can I get an amen in church today? If I said to every single one of you, just after service so you all know, we have a kettlebell and a circumcision form for everybody. (laughs) Be like, nope, uh uh-uh, leaving this church, I'm done. I am done. The well, (laughs) they just need to jump into the well. But this is how some of us do faith. We're trying to pay off a debt that Christ has already taken care of. But we continue to walk around in bondage. This is what bondage, I want you to see this. This is... This is freedom. Oh. Freedom. I want you to get this picture. This is bondage. We carry this into work. We carry this into our marriages. Singles, you carry this into your dating relationship. We carry this into our faith, bondage. And for some of us, maybe, just maybe, you sit in a service one day and something is said, something takes place in worship, and you drop the bondage for a second. And you get back into the crib. The pastor's heart in me is concerned that many of us will never experience the goodness of God because we walk back and forth between negative equity and crib Christianity. Am I talking to anybody in church today? So God in his goodness 
says that he so loved the world. That he sent his one and only son. Is it all right if I just preach old school gospel right now? You and I are walking around with negative equity. God, can I just do one more thing? Can I, can I just give one more thing? Can I just do one more good thing? And how many of you know that the answer to that would be no? So one Sunday I walk over and I say, you know what, I'm gonna lean back to your loving arms because he's a beautiful father. And I'm gonna leave my bondage. He's gonna pick it up. (laughs) We had this problem last time. Now, now stay with me, stay with me. Scripture's gonna tell us, listen, if, 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 you, if you get yourself kettlebelled, watch what, watch what Paul says. He says, if you, if you get yourself kettlebelled, Christ is no benefit to you at all. So the gospel and living in freedom. We're gonna talk about this. It's gonna tie into next week. You have to get back next week, okay? Shameless plug for next week. <laughs> the gospel and what Jesus does in our lives is he walks around, I want you to follow me, with the bondage that I was once in, not to shame me, but for me to remember, oh, he's got it. He's, he's got it. Oh, come on, somebody, you need to hear some good news today. He's got it. I don't need to go back to carrying my bondage. He's got it. I don't need to go back to carrying my shame. He's got it. He is the weight bearer. He is the strength. He is my rock. He's got it. That's the cross. Some of us are walking around trying to, it's an awkward position, but trying to take this back. I was going to try to take it back. (laughs) No. (laughs) Trying to take something back. But he's like, no, no, I told you I'd carry this. How long? Eternity. So it's negative equity, but Jesus put the bill. I'm no longer in debt. I've been freed. Thank you. (laughs) You followed, that was awesome. Come on, how many of you would be excited for the day that Bank of America showed up to to your doorstep and said, hey, just so you know, we're gonna carry this. You don't need to do anything ever again. Come on, y'all, let's celebrate. You wanna know why we worship the way that we do around here? You wanna know why we sing the way that we do around here? You wanna know why we praise the way that we praise around here? Because I got a savior who bankrolled my freedom. I got a savior who bankrolled my lucid from bondage. I got 
my Savior who set me free, so I worship. I give him my praise. I give him my all. Why? Because he's a beautiful Savior. So if we're not careful, we will spin our wheels in debt to the God of heaven who actually paid the price for us. Here's the third picture and the final one. I call it running in circles. Nurseries, negative equity, and running in circles. This is when there is a loss in direction and stride. Galatians 5, verses 7 through 10 says this. Listen listen to what Paul writes. He says, you were running so well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. In other words, it's not coming from Jesus. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. He's saying that if you let an ounce of this in, if you let an ounce of this this debt back in, it leavens the whole thing. If you let an ounce of this in, it mixes into the whole batch of your freedom. You were running so well, Who, who persuaded you that you needed to do more for it? Who persuaded you that it wasn't enough? It's like running in circles. See, if I were to put this blindfold on right now, how many of you know At this point in time, it would get really dangerous for me to start walking around. Come on, how many of you would agree with me? I can't see your hands, so do whatever you want. (laughs) So if I wanna produce movement in my life right now, and walking forward would be stupid, the only possible way that I could move is in circles. And when I remove the cross of Christ from my life, when I try to do it myself, when I try to earn his favor and his love, which you cannot do, all I'm doing is running in circles, why? Because to move any other direction would potentially cost me harm. And the problem is that for many of us, we have dizzying faith right now because we've spent the majority of our, of our walk trying to pursue Jesus and figure things out running around in circles. And today, I feel by way of the Spirit of God just to let all of us know that he wants to remove the blindfold so that we're no longer running in circles, but rather we are moving towards 
the goal to which Paul would say Christ has laid a hold of us for and I will run my race and I will finish my race. And that's what Paul would say is that many of us have been called to a race that God has ordained for us and designed for us but we can't run our race because we keep putting blindfolds on. We can't run our race because we keep adding in negative equity. We can't run our race because we're still sitting in a crib and I'm just here to declare to every single one of us today that it's time to break free and find ourselves in freedom and who the sun sets free is actually free indeed. So Paul says this in verse one, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore. My sin will not take me back. Legalism will not take me back. Religion will not take me back. Only the love and goodness of Jesus. If you read almost every letter in this New Testament, I want to give you a newsflash, help you out. Almost every letter in this New Testament written by Paul is this same exact message for just a different group of people. This is actually why I love this book right here. See, a lot of us think it, it's hard to interpret. It's not hard to interpret. It's Jesus for you, for me. It's this message packaged differently. All we did was walk through 12 verses to help us understand the beauty of the cross that you and I can't earn it. No amount of serving, no amount of giving, no amount of being good. Now I know, in the back of our mind we wrestle, okay, so then like, what does that mean? Can I just do what I want? It's a good question. Can I just live however I want to make the decisions that I want to? We're gonna deal with that question next week. And what Christ says about our freedom. But today, I just want to call us back to the cross. And for some of us in here today, one of these three are where we're at. To really further illustrate it, I'd love to blindfold myself, pick this up, and hop in the crib, but that would prove dangerous. So you get the picture. Where are you today? Because I can tell you this. I don't, know, I don't need to know your story. I really don't care what you did last night. And it all really doesn't matter what you've been having to wrestle through in life. Because the cross penetrates all of that. It's the great equalizer. No, no, but Jason, you, you, you really don't, under, you don't understand. I don't need to understand. He understands. And if you look across the entirety of Scripture, the knuckleheads that Jesus worked with, and the people that he gave love to, I'll tell you, there are some moments that pale in comparison to probably what we've come up with. So I just want to encourage you today wherever you're at, online, in the house, 
Maybe today is the day that we let go, we get out, and we find our sight because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In Jesus' name.